Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. In this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, Kate and I talk about what to do if you've lost your job, if you've been made redundant, or if you've just been let go, some of the strategies and and things you'll need to put in place to make sure you can get back on the working horse as quickly as you can. We've got some great show notes for this episode, so if you do find yourself in this situation, rest assured there are some good resources and they're free that can help you navigate through this uncertain time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. Kate, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It's good to be back, Owen, on this uh, more dreary morning in Melbourne, but uh, yeah, yeah. Good, to, good to be recording another episode. Yeah, for sure. And this one's a particularly important episode for a lot of people, possibly millions of people who are looking over their finances, scratching their head, just being made either redundant, you know, the, the business is closed down, they've been asked to take a few days off. What are we talking about today? Yeah, so I thought what would be interesting to dive into today was um, what's to do if you've lost your job during coronavirus and just any other time as well. Some of these tips will just be evergreen and helpful to use. Um, and whether you've lost your job through just a casual being let go, end of contract, you've um, been made redundant or maybe you've been dismissed, um, hopefully some of the tips and resources today will help give you some pointers if this happens to you. Mm. And that's it. We're just looking at, you know, helping people navigate through, I guess, the maze, you could call it, of different legislation, different uh, benefits and perks. We've talked about, particularly with coronavirus and, and, and all of that, that we've talked about job keep, job seeker and those types of benefits. But, you know, we were just talking off air about how, I guess, complex it can be trying to work out if your employer has let go of you correctly and mm. what your what your I guess entitlements are there. So I know you can share some of your experience here because um, this has happened to you recently. Mm. But the first thing uh, you wanted to talk about, which I thought was interesting, is um, what it means to be made redundant, and I guess your entitlements under that. Yeah. So I guess that's the more common one at the moment, um, and that actually there's quite a lot of rules around from fair work um, on how to make someone redundant. There's a process to take. You actually have the firm has to write a letter to that person and if they can't give it to them in person, it has to be posted to their last known address. Uh, so it's quite a structured process for firms and it's also quite structured in the amount of redundancy payout and um, it really depends on how many years you've worked for the firm. So if you have a look at the Fair Work website and we've put the show um, the link in the show notes, it actually, if you've been at the firm for more than 12 months, um, depending on how many more years you've been there after that, you'll get a certain amount of weeks of your salary paid out to you um, once you've made redundant. And a redundancy is genuine, according to Fair Work, when your job doesn't need to be done by anyone else and maybe it's been automated or you haven't got a certain client that needs 
this particular staff set anymore or you've sold an arm at your business or something like that. Mm. And so the employer is not allowed to just hire someone after making you redundant to do exactly the same job as you're doing immediately. So if you're let go um, from the office and you were doing, I don't know, you were running the marketing team, they can't hire someone the next week to run the marketing team. Um, and then, yeah, so, and then the so other thing... Say, but that's that's if you that's if you know they do it unfairly, right? Like they can still they can still do it, but then it would just be unfair, right? Yeah. Then, so then you could take it to fair work, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the employer, I guess, could do whatever they wanted. They're not supposed to. So, but we we well and truly know that employers will do anything they think they can. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So if you do think you have. Um, and the employer also has to follow um, the requirements because your contract will often, if you're working full-time or part-time on a contract, you might have uh, stipulations in there about what your redundancy is. Some firms uh, make the redundancy more generous than the minimum or there might be union or award agreements. Mm-hmm. So different industries um, may have specific if you're um, part of an award or a union or an enterprise agreement, there may be specific requirements uh, that differ slightly to what Fair Work says. So you'll just have to make sure that if this you're in this situation where you are getting made redundant, that you have a look at what your specific industry, um, have a look at your contract, have a look, talk to your union about what the redundancy rules are for your particular situation. Yeah, this is particularly the case if you work in a big business. So a lot of big businesses are unionized or the industries, they'd love you to be in a union. Um, a lot of businesses aren't part of a union, um, which is, in my opinion, a good thing um, because it's better for businesses um, and ultimately better for employees. But um, the thing is to remember that um, your HR team should also have a really good understanding of the rules. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if you don't understand what they're saying to you, then that's when I reckon you should go and get some um, help with that. One thing to keep in mind is that, you know, there's this thing called an EBA or an enterprise bargaining agreement. This is particularly for industries and big businesses that are kind of like really regulated. So for example, if you work for Australia Post or if you work for maybe something like um, a big building company in that industry. So, you know, there's a lot of regulation, a lot of uh, union style stuff in there. And they'll probably have an EBA, which kind of sets out the rules of what you're entitled to and what you're not entitled to. So you could refer back to that as well. Um, that's a really good resource. And then obviously there's a lot of stuff online. So we've, Kate's put some really good show notes in. Um, so that's something to, to think about. Kate, you mentioned that you should probably ask your employer, or at least your employer should do some things for you if you are made redundant. Um, I didn't know a few of these things. So this is kind of news to me. What are the kind of three or four things that people need to to keep in mind. Yeah. So if you are made redundant, the employer does have to tell you in writing. And I would also, um, I definitely want to get this in writing at the moment. Employers might forget about this step because it's been really hectic and a lot of employers are having to do things they wouldn't normally have done. Mm. Um, so I'd make sure I'd follow up and get that in writing because you might need this, um, as evidence for Centrelink payments, rent reduction. I know, um, landlords have been asking um, mm. renters for evidence. If yeah, they're they asking have. for a rent reduction or a pause on their rent, they want to say, well, what's your evidence that you've lost your job? Because um, I, I guess they they 
sort of fairly want some proof on that. And if you want to go to the bank and pause credit card payments or mortgage payments, uh, I, I'd assume that they would probably want some documentation as well. So that redundancy letter, you, the employer is supposed to give it to you in writing, but I would make sure I'd chase up until I get it in writing because that will be a useful document for other cases as well. Yeah, it's just that it just speeds things along, right? Like if, you, if you're going from earning money to not earning anything, you want to have all your ducks in a row so that you can go straight to the bank or straight to Centrelink and have that letter ready to go. Um, so that's definitely something you should chase up ASAP if you have uh, been made redundant or you're, you've been let go recently. Mm. Um, the, there's a, there are a couple more things on this list though, Kate, right? Yeah, absolutely. So this isn't, I don't think they have to do this, but I would ask to get the final payout figure for redundancy or if you've just been let go, um, your final payout for your whatever your salary you have left, I would get that in writing just so you can understand that and you can look at have you've got this in writing and then you can go to the fair work website and actually have a look what should have my redundancy package been um is this appropriate in my industry so get everything in writing uh from them and also ask to get your final payyg statements your pay slip um and they might also i know some employers don't do it until the 30th of june um but a final um statement that you can use at tax time which sort Mm. of um, adds up all the tax you've paid in the year, all the money that's gone to super, any other benefits. Um, otherwise, you'll have to hassle them at the end of the tax year. So maybe they'll do that for you. Um, not all firms will, though, but it's worth asking. Mm-hmm. And the last one, which is pretty interesting, and I, I think it's just it's it's good because it really has nothing to do with, um, I guess, the legalities of it. It's just asking yeah. your, your boss for, to be a reference. Mm, yeah, so I think before you leave or at least on the last day, if you can talk to your manager or the HR team about using someone as a reference. I mean, if you're in a large team and you're not super close to the manager, maybe the HR um, group can be a reference. Maybe they can write you a reference um, before you go. Um, just so once you get back on the uh, the job search train, you've got someone's details that you can provide because uh, often jobs want to speak to your last company or your last manager yeah it's really important um and this is it's a very this would be a very tough time for a lot of people right getting let go from their job feeling a bit insecure financially uh and then trying to act calmly and not burn your bridges with employers particularly if it's Mm. small medium businesses or if there's any type of history there it's pretty hard it'd be pretty hard to stomach that so um it'd be pretty easy to lash out and think you know you're not doing this for me you didn't do that um, which I know that's, you know, there's certain things that are right and wrong, but you've also got to think about, um, you know, do you need this person in the future? Will you need to call on them as a reference? How valuable mm. are they as a reference? All these different things that you might want to take into consideration before you say anything, before you pursue certain angles. You know, you've got to, it's a case by case thing, um, but you really want to make sure that you're employable. Do you need a reference? You know, Oftentimes, it doesn't have to be your direct superior. It could be someone, a colleague. It could be, um, you know, someone you worked with quite a few years ago. It could be a few different things. But most likely, a new employer will want to hear from your most recent employer, uh, particularly mm. if it was for more than a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, Kate, because I know this this has happened to you recently. Um, mm. You know, we talked about you going away and we always talk <laughs> about emergency funds. We actually got a, a really nice email, didn't we, about someone who had been made redundant or let go and, they have that cash that cash balance behind them because they listened to the podcast. They'd saved up that money. 
And I guess that was yeah. just awesome. But um, one thing that, that you've done recently, um, I know you've gone back and done a bit of study, but you've just taken a break, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was quite... I mean, it was it was very disappointing not to go on the big trip, but um, I, I was lucky that I had that emergency fund plus the trip fund, so that really gave me quite a bit of a run- runway. Um, so I had more mm. cash than I, I would have normally had um, just in my emergency fund alone. And I guess at the moment people are starting to think, well, three to six months of um, bare minimum expenses is starting to look like not enough in your emergency fund. Uh, which is something I would have never thought about before, but now I'm starting to personally think that maybe I want a bit of a runway moving into future years uh, in my emergency fund. So, um, yeah, it's also that's something worth thinking about. What is the emergency fund that allows you to sleep at night the best? Because I think people are starting to see that the break or the time out of work is a bit longer than maybe they expected. And this circumstance, yeah, this scenario is so unprecedented. I guess that's a favourite word at the moment. But it is. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, it's actually sort of made me think that maybe three to six months that I, most of the uh, online sites will tell you is the most appropriate amount for your emergency fund. Maybe that's not enough anymore. Yeah, it's one of those things, right, where you go from earning an income, you think things are fine, and they are, mm. and then you don't have that income, um, that cash flow to your bank account every week, month, fortnight, whatever it is. Uh, and things, you, you have that negative wealth effect in full force, right? You go from thinking things are actually really good to tomorrow, you're actually just as wealthy as you were yesterday, but you don't have a job. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden that wealth effect, that psychological thing, that twist um, is really powerful. And you go from being very optimistic and, or extremely optimistic to being extremely pessimistic. And I think that's really important here. Uh, what's really important here is, as you said, it's take a break. Yeah. So a lot of people, when they lose their job, they feel, um, you know, that sense of pride just hits them hard. They feel like this, I'm a failure. This is really difficult for me. Um, you know, I can't believe I can't provide for my family. You know, I had these goals. My world's been turned upside down. All of these different negative feelings. Mm. But, you know, it's really important at that stage. If you're that type of person, which t- chance are if you listen to this podcast, you are that type of person. It's really, really, really important just to take a few days break, step back, breathe a little bit, maybe do some yoga, maybe do some meditation, <laughs> whatever it is, get exercise, just keep yourself as healthy as possible physically and mentally. Just give yourself that time and then come up with some sort of clearer thinking when you, you know, when you need to do an action plan, as you would say. Yeah, and I think it's also while you have a, a few days at least break before, if you're going to say something um, to your previous employer because you're not happy with something, I, I would always leave it a few days just to calm down, get over the shock um, before s- saying anything or writing anything that you might regret. Um, and it's also worth ta- having a chat with um, some trusted family or friends about what's happened um, and sort of have a chat to them about how you're feeling, how you're dealing with everything, whether they have any advice and maybe start to work out an action plan after you've had a, I don't know, a few days, a week or two weeks to have a break, depending on what works for you. Then work out what's your action plan, how long is your emergency fund going to last for, um, what expenses aren't essential, what can you cut out, how can you reduce as Owen calls it, your ramen number, <laughs> what you need to what you need to sustain yourself each month. And uh, yeah, then go from there. But definitely take a few days, just have a breather and 
just so you don't do any actions you'd regret. I guess it's what they say when you, you get a big inheritance or win a lottery or anything sort of completely unexpected happens. You should always take a few breaks before doing anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I guess we talked just to loop that back in with, you know, uh, the, the income, the emergency cash balance, one of the really important things and one of the things that we should be grateful for in our country, uh, perhaps too grateful for at the moment, if you ask some people, <laughs> is that you can go straight to applying for benefits. So we're a lucky country in that respect. We have social security benefits. We call, the, we call it um, job seeker. There's also one now for businesses called JobKeeper. There are many others. There's ones, you know, veterans, all yeah, different types of things. There's also youth allowance if you're under yep. 22. And there's pensions. There's all different types of things. So we're very lucky to have those. And one of the things that you can do to try and slow down that, that's, you know, that chewing into your, your emergency cash balance is to, to go and to apply for one of these benefits as quickly as you can. And you've, well, you, we have, but specifically you, Kate, you've, you've written a lot about this and mm. um, you've, you, we even recorded a podcast separately on this. So um, that would probably be, you know, once you've had a bit of a break, that would probably be the next thing to do um, just so you can stop that, that, that eating into your cash balance. And it does take a while, right? Like it does take a while to get these benefits flowing into your account. Mm. Yeah. So when I, when I applied um, just to get the reference number, cause I didn't even have the Centrelink reference number at the time back in late March, I think the whole process before getting uh, any of the job seeker money was about a month, but uh, we've, we've since heard from Centrelink and they said it's actually yeah. been sped up quite a lot and you can get the reference number online. So um yeah, hopefully if anyone else is applying that now, it's a much quicker, maybe one or two week process to actually uh, get some cash flow into your bank account so you can cover all your living expenses and don't have to eat too much into your emergency fund. Yeah. And you've actually written something about this. So we'll put that in the show notes and how you, how you can go about it. Um, and that's a really good point is that it even um, people who haven't been on any type of benefit before, um, not only do they feel like you know, there's this stigma around it, which by the way, absolutely no shame in get using these benefits. That's why mm. we pay tax. That's why I yeah. pay tax. It's why you pay tax. It's why we do it, right? Um, you know, one of the things about this is that if you haven't done it before, it does take a little bit of time, but be mindful that what's most often the case is that you apply and the payments will be back backdated. So mm. even though you might not receive the money, let's say optimistically it's two weeks, but let's say it's two months, you will be they will catch up with what you're owed. So um, keep that in mind. Kate, um, obviously this is kind of like a three-step process. The first thing is just assessing the situation, making sure you have all your documentation. Second Mm -hmm. thing is just, I guess, what can you do in the meantime? So we talked about job seeker. You might even do side hustles. You might try and find creative ways to make money. But the third thing is kind of getting up and getting back on the horse, starting a, a, a search for a new job. So this is very simple, you know, it sounds like just get a new job and, you know, how easy is that? <laughs> but in reality, this is a hard thing. And particularly mm. when you're talking about, and we talked about some episodes gone by about unemployment and the numbers and how it's pretty scary at the moment. So what are some of the things, the steps that you've taken or you would say to people to take now if they're looking to get back on the horse and, and, and get a new job? Mm. So I think the first thing to keep in mind is that at the moment, the job search process will probably take quite a bit longer, um, especially because firms are having to do everything online and they're not all used to that and they're not all used to doing those processes Mm. online. So having to do a Zoom interview with a a 
prospective employees very different to seeing someone in person and actually being able to get a better sense of their personality and who they are and if they're the right fit. So I think firms are still adjusting to this new process and and some are still doing interviews um, in-house. They're just obviously very socially distanced and spaced. But, um, yeah, so firms are just, I think the process is taking a bit longer from what I've heard from other people um, because firms are getting used to this new new normal and a lot of companies are doing um starting to bring in injuring split offices so half the team will work on one week and half the team on the other so that also will probably delay things but i think what i would do and what i have done once you've started the job search um starting to think do you want to work in the same industry and the same job as you were before uh could you work somewhere slightly different that is hiring at the moment because i know a lot of a lot of uh, areas like Centrelink were hiring a lot of people and supermarkets and contact, um, all sorts of cu- customer support roles. And so there were some areas that were hiring a lot and then there were some industries like media and journalism where uh, media offices have been just shut down by the, the dozen all over Australia, which is really sad. But I guess it's time to think, which do you want to stay in the same industry or would you have more luck uh, maybe pivoting and using your skills in a different area. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. We talk a lot on this podcast about preparing. So we talk about preparing for whatever life throws at you. We talk about emergency Mm. funds. We talk about insurance. We talk about all that type of thing from a financial perspective. But one thing that is so important that we emphasize so much is just learning, being this kind of lifelong learner investing that hour a day to upskill, to make yourself valuable, to learn new things, to be more worldly, if you want to use that phrase. Um, one of the things that is really important here is that we, you and I talk about, I know you're doing a bit of study here now, Kate. Um, I try and learn everything that I can as often as I can because I always want to be prepared for whatever comes next, mm-hmm. or at least as best as I can. And one of the things is that you can take so many short courses online. You can um, learn some skills on YouTube that you can put on your resume. For example, a really important one right now, which is what you just mentioned, is doing a Zoom interview. You yeah. know, if, 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 if you listen to this podcast and you don't know, you know, the basics of using online tools like, say, Zoom or any type of recording or video software or you don't understand how, for example, like Google Docs or Microsoft 365, like all of these essential skills in a modern age, if you don't know how they work, the best place for you to go right now is just to spend some of your time that you have off going and researching these new skills and then putting that on your resume and being saying, yes, I'm familiar with this. And by the way, most of these things you can learn for free. So, hmm. uh, and their skills are going to stay with you for at least the next decade until probably they get made redundant by something else. But these are all skills that you can learn and you can apply for new jobs and new industries. I've said this before on the podcast, but, um, and you're just about to get to some free online resources, but one of the things I'm a big fan of and I think a lot of people should be spending more time thinking about is if you're a type of person that likes to understand how things work, so you're a tinkerer, you're someone who uses logic to try and question things, you should be really applying your skills to mm-hmm. software and technology because these are industries that are going to be with us for the next decades. In my opinion, you know, these just can't, there's just not enough Aussies that understand this stuff and it's going to be a huge industry for us many years into the future. That's just a little aside. Mm. You've got other things, you know, not everyone's like that. You've got some resources here. Where could people go to learn or take one of these free courses? 
Yeah, so some of the favourite ones I always mention are edX, FutureLearn, Casera, Khan Academy, and I know Owen's a big fan of YouTube to level up your skills, but most of these are free. You can decide, oh, I want to go learn about physics or anything like that. Coursera and FutureLearn, they have a lot of really useful courses that you might want to go and learn business skills or accounting, or there's so many courses on technology and coding and all sorts of AI. So that might be something you want to have a look into. And they're all taught by professors at unis. Um, There's another app called Skillshare, where if you want to learn more specific skills, you can just get taught by someone that's an expert in their own house and they just film and put up some videos on how to do something really specific as well. So that's, um, I think you can even learn how to make bread on that app. So Yeah, and um, so there's a lot of places where you can actually just do some free online courses. Um, If they're on one of the university platforms and you can get it certified as well and you can then put that up on your LinkedIn profile. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something else I would be doing. I'd update your LinkedIn and your SIG profiles because you probably haven't touched them since the last time you applied for a job. And both of these platforms have a job search function that you can turn on. So uh, once you've updated your profile, put all the most de- the details of your most recent position in. Um, and really, I think it's important at the moment since a lot of stuff's happening online to really break down what your roles and responsibilities were at your previous job just so they can get a really good picture and they know if it's worth giving you a call or an email. But um, put that in the LinkedIn and seek profiles, update your description, update your photo if it was taken when you were still in high school. And then, yep, turn on the job search function so recruiters can actually find you as well. Mm. Um, yeah. So, and then what I'd do next, I would go and update your resume with your most recent work experience and any other qualifications. A lot of times you've done new qualifications while working at a job, maybe they paid for them, but go and update them, uh, update your resume and add those qualifications in as well. Yeah. This is such an important thing, right? You, you know, one of the things you do as an employer is that if you get a good applicant that comes through, the first thing is shock and awe is you stalk them online and you go to their, their social media profiles, you go to their LinkedIn, you, you right click and you open it in incognito so they don't see that you look at them. You know, all these different little things that you do and they play a big part in building, I guess, the image of, and profile of who you are. And, you know, that's a really important thing you mentioned there, Kate. You know, have an up-to-date photo of yourself. Look happy in your LinkedIn photo. <laughs> like, do all these things. Like, yeah. These little psychological nudges that help the recruiter along the way. And, um, and put your and put your sorry, just put your email and your your contact details on your LinkedIn profile because otherwise, yeah. um, sometimes they don't want to just send you a message; they want to just email you directly. So yeah. just make sure you've got your contact details on your profiles and they're up to date. They're not your old email address. Yeah, and one of the things like you get with a lot of younger people and pretty pretty much every graduate that hasn't really thought widely about this is you have the email that you created when you're in high school. Yeah, and it's kind of like sexy chick at hotmail.com or like cool dude 44 like <laughs> sort it out like you don't <laughs> all these little the things most young stereotypical person, examples of emails you could think of yeah that's it and so you you want to appear professional but also you want to appear like you're you're the right fit so you want to nudge the recruiter psychologically without them even knowing into the right direction you're a good candidate you've explained all the skills that you have on your profile you know you can demonstrate that online um, you know, if you have an online profile, it's very easy for a recruiter to see what you've done and, and where you've been. Uh, you know, these are all little things. 
you know, if you're looking to, one thing we should probably mention, if you're looking to get into the finance industry, um, which is a quite a big industry in Australia and it's, and, and it's growing, is, um, you know, consider things like blogging, consider things like, um, you know, building kind of like an online portfolio. And if you're not getting into the finance industry, another one would be to make yourself available on things like Upwork, um, Freelancer, all these different things, Elance, these are like Airtasker. These are all different uh, platforms for you to find work. But even if it's not necessarily your forever job, it can add to your portfolio and it can mm. add to the things that you've done. So, um, you know, you get some cash in the door just a little bit. It might be simple little jobs, but at least it's something. And you also get the added benefit of putting it on your resume should you, should you so choose. So that's another little thing. Um, and I guess as we come to the end of this gate, one thing to reflect on here is that when we talk about upskilling and reskilling and, and crossing over to different industries, these things don't happen overnight. Sometimes you've got to take the job that you don't want to do straight away while you mm. invest in yourself. Um, you know, there's, you know, compounding, you can compound your knowledge. It takes quite a few years before you get to the, the, the role that you want to be. Um, so that, that may be a reality in the current environment in 2020. So, mm. And yeah, you might not be able to find your particular job or skill set may not be hiring at all. So you might have to sort of take a different direction for a while before you can work out how to get back into your industry or something you, you like. And I guess it comes mm. down to if you need money in the door straight away, if you want to start working straight away, um, often employers want to know about large gaps in your resume. Um, mm. I guess do, yeah. coronavirus, probably six months to 12 months will probably be very explainable, but they'll also want to know, well, I mean, as someone who's never been an employer, but I'd like to think that I could be one day, I would probably think, well, what were you doing during those 12 months? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, did you do anything during those? Um, I was in South America having some what skills did you learn? Like, that's a pretty good um, explanation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I know, especially other young people that have got jobs, if there's a break in their resume that they weren't doing uni or weren't doing any work, often they're asked, well, what happened during that six to 12 months time? Um, but I guess a lot of people are going to have this same gap in their resume because of coronavirus. So uh, it's probably a little bit easier at the moment. Um, and, and one other thing, sort of start having a look uh, on LinkedIn for recruiters that specialize in your industry. Uh, more and more recruiters are now specializing. Mm. Like I know in the financial services industry, there's recruiters that specialize just in hiring people in asset management and fintech and insurance. So work out what in... Um, what are the recruiters that specialize in your niche or the areas you want to work in and get in touch with them because mm. if you make their life easier because they've got your resume already at the top of the pile and they know who you are, then when a job comes along, they don't have to search as hard. It doesn't take them as much time. They know that you're a potential candidate that's available, ready to start now. So I'd um, yeah, certainly start reaching out to some relevant recruiters. Don't go spamming them, but pick a few uh, Pick a few choice yeah, recruiters to get in touch with. Yeah, and, and maybe they've got contact details that you can call on their website. Yeah, it's really important. So whenever you go through life, one thing I've learned, particularly in business, is that to know the incentive of anyone that you come across in your life. So mm -hmm. what is their incentive? Why are they doing what they, do, what they are doing? And how do you best appeal to that incentive to persuade them in a way that you want them to be persuaded? And for a recruiter... You just need to find out how they're paid and <laughs> surprise, surprise, they're paid when you get a job. 
So if, if an employer goes to them and says, hey, Mr. Recruiter, I'm looking for an analyst to work in my finance business, go and find me the best one. If they already have someone on hand that they know is a good fit, which might be you in this case, what they do is they just say, hey, future analyst, I've got a job for you. You want to have an interview? And they're sure. You go in a week later, you get the job. Well, that recruiter is loving it because they did virtually nothing and they get, you know, maybe $10,000 or, and then when you're there for three months and you pass probation, they might get another $10,000. So there's a lot of incentive there for them to act quickly, to have you on their short list and be ready to go. And obviously for you, that's a good thing too. So that's something to keep in the back of your mind is just make it easy for them. And then when mm-hmm. you speak to the employer, know their incentive. What do they want from you? Appeal to that. Tell them how you solve that problem. These are really just often overlooked soft skills, but they are really important. So, mm-hmm. you know, answer those questions before they even have them. And, um, you know, all of these things combined, I think the, the way, maybe a fitting way to end this case is just reminding people just to be optimistic because we won't be in coronavirus forever. There will come a time when, you know, we'll be back to full employment. People will be, you know, fighting for different employees and trying to get them into their business and offering higher pay packets and all the rest of it. So there will come a time. There's some great services out there. Kate has detailed them. Just be a little bit optimistic. Things will be okay. Mm. And I also just think about what what the workforce might look like in five years' time. We may well and truly get back to full employment, but the full employment's going to look quite different mm. to what it did in 2019. There's not going to be as many jobs in some sectors, but there's going to be a lot more jobs in others. So just I, I'd take a little bit of time now just to have a look at there's a lot of research done on workplace trends and industry trends and which jobs are growing and which sectors are growing and which sectors are slowly shriveling up and dying so i just sort of think which direction do you want to head in do you want to head in an industry that's really growing over the next decade do you want to stay in an industry that's maybe shrinking quite rapidly yeah and this is an opportunity right a lot of people get scared of change because they invest so much of their time and effort um, into a particular skill set but mm. you know if you're trained at university um i don't know to as a blacksmith who makes swords um or something like that <laughs> You might have to go back 400 years for that to be a relevant job, (laughs) but there's been a lot of changes since then and a lot of them have been positive. And so Mm. it's about preparing yourself for what comes next and finding those industries, working from the top down and building your your CV around that and your skill set. So there's a lot of good jobs that are going to come your way in the future, a lot of opportunities. So just be open to them um, and prepare yourself. So Kate, you've gone through so much. We're going to have a lot of show notes for this. How can people find out more about you? Absolutely. So once you've gone through the many, many show notes that we'll have uh, put up for you, you can catch me on howtomoney.online and at howtomoneyaus on Twitter and Instagram. Cool. And I'm Owen Rask on Twitter, uh, Owen Rask AU on Instagram. You've got a lot more followers on Instagram. I was on there last night for the first time in it forever. <laughs> you've, you've done really well. Um, and of course, I'm Owen Rask. You can find me online at www.rask.com.au. Also, you can send us your feedback and um, any questions you might have, we might get back to doing that in the near future. It's podcast at rask.com.au or you can email your questions to Kate too. So please, we love engagement. And um, yeah, maybe, maybe Kate, maybe we can be a bit optimistic ourselves and say, who knows, there might be an event sometime this year, maybe in a city. Mm. Maybe not get, online. Maybe not <laughs> online. Maybe we can meet you in person. So that's yeah. kind of cool too. Great, Kate. As always, thanks for joining me. 
Thanks, Owen. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.